Let me hit this baby here. Three, two, one, roll. Welcome back to the Strategy Sprints podcast. I'm your host, Simon Severino. And today my guest is the founder of Bento and of Talent Tree. Welcome everybody, Jesse Henley. Hey mate, thanks for having me on. That was a that was a pretty cool intro. I haven't seen one of those before, so that was that was awesome. <laughs> so cool to have you here, and we will talk how to stair step from being freelancer to agency owner, and when you're an agency owner, how to stay sane and not reinvent the wheel all the time, but productize and make your life better. But first, Jesse, what are you currently creating? Uh, at the moment, every morning I kind of wake up and I work on Bento. That is kind of my creative pursuit at the moment, even though it's a software business. Uh, every day I kind of wake up, I have my customers ping me, they ask me for things, they've got requests. And me being a self-taught developer um, and my developers currently on break, so all that kind of responsibility lays on me. I kind of like hack on those features for my customers and help them out. It's uh, Yeah, so day to day, that's kind of what I'm creating. I'm also trying to build a nice little uh, home here. I live in Japan. So uh, the other stuff that I'm creating is kind of my home here in Japan. So uh, yeah, Tell that's what I'm creating. How, how did you come up with the the name and with the company? With uh, Bento? Uh, I mean, I've always been super interested in, in Japan in general. Uh, there's actually an, uh, a weird story about it. I found uh, my background's in search engine. We can talk about the agency stuff. My background was search engine optimization. And I was always on the prowl for good expired domains. Expired domains mm -hmm. tend to have a lot of value behind them. You can easily rank them. And I actually came across an old Silicon Valley startup that had run out of money. The founder was selling all of his assets, including at Bento on Twitter and on Facebook and, you know, and a great domain. It had a lot of really good links from uh, publishers and all that. And so I bought it and I bought it as an SEO and I didn't really know what to do with the domain or anything with like the assets for a pretty long time. Uh, until I met a guy called Andrew Culver, uh, who became kind of like the first engineer that I hired to build out what is now Bento. But that that took a couple of years. Um, so yeah, you know, cross between my SEO background and kind of an interest in Japan. I'm now living there. Uh, that's kind of how I came up with the name. Why Japan? Uh, you know, growing up, I just, you know, I used to like animes. And I don't know, man, Japan's cool. Like there's a lot. And it's not even the anime stuff. Japan's just, it's a cool place to live. Um, the lifestyle where I'm, I'm actually down south in Kyushu, so down the bottom. Uh, it's a pretty energetic kind of, uh, it's kind of like the startup-y city of uh, Japan. There's a, there's a lot of business, young families, uh, amazing food. You've got the volcanic region around the corner, like all these amazing volcanic kind of uh, onsen towns. Uh, you've got the beaches. It's a lot slower paced than like Tokyo and stuff. Um, yeah, and the quality of life for the price is actually pretty affordable, um, especially compared to like where I grew up, like in Sydney, Australia. So building a business in somewhere like Japan is actually, it's hard to stay here. But once you do stay here, it's a pretty affordable country to live. Sounds great. And so let's dive into your CEO tip from freelancer to agency owner to product pack. Yeah, so I kind of don't really know where to start, but I can start at like a couple of points. So my journey was basically I worked full time in a company. Uh, I was the director of marketing there and um, basically worked with the boss on a whole bunch of stuff, SEO, paid ads, you know, I was designing stuff all over the place, as you do in like a small company. 
Uh, and then over time, I realized that I'd, I'd read some books, you know, four hour work week and stuff. And one of the chapters there is like negotiating a remote agreement with your employer. And I was like, yeah, right. Like, let's try that. So I did. And I uh, had a conversation with my employer and we negotiated a remote working agreement. Uh, once I locked that in, I just started traveling. And whilst I was traveling, I picked up consulting clients on the road uh, all around the world. Uh, a lot of them were in e-commerce, which is why I do quite a lot of e-commerce stuff now. E-commerce and software and just trying to pay my bills really, right? And, and just do whatever it takes. Then um, as my de like demand kind of kicked up, um, I needed more people. And so I started building an agency um, kind of just out of the need. You know, you just have more demand and you want more money. So you're just like, okay, I am going to find more people to help me with that. Um, and we ended up evolving into kind of a full service agency. And I think a lot of people kind of do that path. Because um, you again, you're just trying to pay bills. You've either got a family or for me, I was just traveling around. I just didn't want to like, you know, I want to live in nicer hostels and hotels <laughs> and still do my work. Um, so ended up building a full service agency. It's pretty stressful because you're kind of all over the place. You've got some people doing SEO, some people doing content, link building, AdWords, Facebook ads. You're, you're just trying to build. But under that kind of uh, structure, and I didn't really have so much structure at the time. I still had like quite a lot to learn. Uh, I just found it really, really difficult. Uh, and from there, ended up actually trying to work out, all right, well, what was the core service that I offered? What well, was the single thing that was the least stressful uh, and was really easy to price? And that was an offering that we did, which was basically we found full-time writers and we placed them with firms. So we priced competitively. Um, clients loved it because they had someone writing on their website Monday to Friday. It was a super simple business. Like we'll put a writer on your website. They'll write. You're producing twenty-five to 35,000 words of content a month. Like amazing. Um, and then I just made the whole business that, and it was a productized service, still offer it today. Uh, and that kind of took off. And then once that took off, so the stair step was freelance, full service agency, overwhelm, then productized service. Um, and then once that productized service was pretty much automated, I just kind of jump on sales calls when they come. Uh, I just work on Bento, which is my software company. Um, and that's a hard company to grow. Let's dive deeper into that overwhelm phase because this is where most listeners are right now. They sure. are fighting to get their pandemic uh, revenues uh, up, up again. And what usually sure. people do is then they say yes to many opportunities and then they get into this overwhelming stage. And then when you are fulfilling, you don't have time to work on the business model, on the systems. How, how, how did you experience this overwhelming phase and what made it possible to make the first little changes? It's a good question. A part of me thinks you have to go through the overwhelm phase. I actually think it's good. Um, I think it's good to get there because it's like it means you've got some demand. You've pushed yourself. Um, I was actually talking to a friend uh, today. Let me see if I can find the book. Uh, he, was, he said there's a book about the upper limit problem or something. I'm, I'm going to butcher this, but you actually may be able to say it better. But your body kind of when you start kind of pushing next levels, your body and your mind starts kind of playing games on you a little bit. It starts bringing in anxieties. I actually felt that a little bit today, if I'm gonna be honest. Mm -hmm. um, when you start pushing these barriers, your brain actually starts fighting against you and it takes kind of friends, networks, coaches, just people to help and kind of support and nurture you. 
uh, to get through that phase. And so at the time when I was really overwhelmed, I was really overwhelmed. My revenue was decent. I had a team, but man, it feels like everyone's got wires on you, right? You got your clients, you've got your team, very overwhelming. Um, and the way that I got out of it was I had a very eye-opening conversation with a friend who um, basically had a little bit of interest of in buying my business at the time. And so he was like, I love your business. At the time, I was like, why? Like, what do you like about it? He saw something. But as we were talking, I started to realize no matter what, I couldn't actually sell it to him. And I was like, well, what are all these blocks? Like, you know, I, I was so in the sales, I was so, so much in like the sales process. I was helping all the deliverables. I was doing strategy. And I kind of came to the realization that like, if I wanted this business to be calm and I wanted it to be profitable, I needed to make it sellable. <laughs> and and that's, that's where the kind of restructure came about. And that's where I had to make a lot of really hard decisions. Um, I, I obviously downsized. I had I found everyone jobs uh, when I downsized, which was uh, just because I couldn't let everyone go. Um, and so a lot of actually team members went to clients to work full time, which is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, that was, a, that was a rough time, man. It was really rough, but really happy I came to the other side because the business now it's, I mean, we, we spoke just before the call. It's sellable. Um, I'm currently in talks with even selling it. Don't know if that's going to happen, but no way that would have happened three years ago, four years ago. Um, but yeah, had to get really focused. But again, I think you've got to you got to go through it to realize what's wrong, and then you need sellable business. Trends. is so important, and this is such a a, a relevant insight that you have right now that 90% of entrepreneurs don't have. We have dozens of them every day in our programs and um, we have to work hard to show them that they need to create systems, scalable systems in the very early stage. And they're like, yeah, Simon, now I just need to, I, ju I just need to double my revenue in this quarter. And then we show them, yeah, that's important. But at the same time, you have to start early to think in scalable structures. For example, today in the morning, my wife was seeing on my iPad, I had all the sales calls uh, that happened during the night in the US and I'm here in Europe. And she was like, how is it possible? They, they say the same things on these sales calls that you say. And I say, well, I have sales scripts. We, we all talk the same language. And she's like, my goodness. How did you do that? Because you are not training them like every day. Uh, you are a terrible people's person. She knows I'm a terrible people's person. I, I talk 10 minutes to my people per, per week. Uh, but we are so aligned. How did you do it? And I said, I thought from the very beginning in scalable processes, like if we were McKinsey with 40,000 people, even when we were four people, because that's the way entrepreneurs successful entrepreneurs think from the very beginning. Yeah, it's also hard to get there mentally. I mean, I, I had support, but I wasn't listening to it. Um, and I, I was reading, but I wasn't listening to it. So everything that you're saying, I totally agree with. But man, it's hard in those early days, you're just trying to pay rent and you're trying to pay the bills. And so you bring on the chaos. Um, and so you, you, yeah. yeah. You have to do the sales and you have to do the product in the first years. And both needs. Uh, and delivery and customer service and finances. And <laughs> it's it's a lot. It's a lot. But now it's like, now with the business, it's funny. Um, every time I start breaking things into processes and 
and coming up with good solutions, I like kind of feel like I can breathe again. Um, even just recently, I brought on someone just to help with invoicing and paying, doing payroll and stuff. For whatever reason, I like took pride in doing that. I liked sending invoices and I liked, and then immediately after I got the guy doing it, I was like, why didn't I do this 12 months ago? Like, this is, it's like such, like the team's getting paid a lot faster. I thought I was paying fast. This guy pays faster. Um, invoices are getting sent, obviously on time, exactly like I was doing it. And now I don't think about it. Um, but I don't know. It takes like some entrepreneurship maturity maybe to, to figure that out. I don't know. And this is important. Uh, I can breathe again. So <laughs> tell us, how did you, now it's working, but I would like to share with our audience what the process was, how you, you did get out of that overwhelm. What did you try? Did it work immediately? What was your decision-making process? There was a very clear product uh, and offering. This is for the agency, right? There was a very clear uh, offering in, out of all the things we were doing. We we're doing a lot of things. Um, there was one clear offering where it was very obvious people were happy paying for it and they also didn't churn. Like people that were customers of that service were on for 12 months, 16 months and happy and not even talking to us and paying their invoices, right? That's very different for the same invoice size for a, pay, uh, let's say an AdWords client or a Facebook client or an SEO client that they're, they're not necessarily the best. Um, and so I think identifying that and going, oh, this is a product that can sell. Um, I knew who would buy it. I knew who else would buy it. And I knew how I could get to the same revenue really fast by basically combining those two. I had, I had a clear offering and also I had yeah clear offering and I had a good network of people I knew I could sell that offering to. And I just went after it and it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. There's like, even if I look at my revenue graphs, there's like one month where it's down, where I'm aggressively restructuring and then almost immediately back up in 30 days, um, which... I can only look on, at the time, it was just chaos. But uh, looking back, it's, it's cool to see that in the graphs. These are the scary months. And, uh, and it's yeah. important to push through and to stay steady because you know you're doing the right restructuring. You know cash will go up again. And I am so curious. You don't necessarily. You don't necessarily know. <laughs> you hope, right? You hope. You hope, you hope it's going to work. And uh, well, so, far, I, so far, it has. If you, if you hope, that's a problem. In entrepreneurship, we want numbers. So what, what, we, what we do is that we put numeric uh, XYZ hypothesis be in, behind every assumption. So I think that this launch will bring uh, 400 leads, 30 clients, um, 12,000 euro, for example. That's an, a numeric assumption, XYZ hypothesis. And then... And then with that assumption, we test it five times to know the range that will come out. And then when we restructure, in order to make that happen, we do it based on numbers. Now, these are not set in stone because, as, as we saw, this year markets shift during, during things. And um, again, you will have to test assumptions. But... Um, when you know that you have tested five times and this is the probability and now you execute, then you can go into this pushing through a phase of a cash crunch because you know you are remodeling the ship on an ocean, but you know how the water looks like. 
I think when you're jumping, just one one slight pushback. I think when you when you're jumping from freelancer to agency, then there's not enough numbers there. So there's a lot of feeling in the dark. I think um, now you're right. Like going from productized service to like expanding that and growing that, it's very clear. How many leads we got? How many people on the wait list? How many candidates can we bring a month? It's very predictable. But in those early days. There's a lot, you know, when you're anxious and you're not sure where things are going and you're trying to figure it out. And there's a lot of, you, it's very hard to quantify. <laughs> it's very hard to quantify. And, and you are feeling in the dark in those months, I think. And I think that's yeah. where there's a, there's a lot of anxiety there. And, and you're trying to find that predictability, that consistency. Uh, and maybe you're right. Like maybe you just got to go in those into those situations with that mindset. But that wasn't my experience. My experience was very... Uh, trying to trying to figure it out. Most um, freelancers, when you ask them, we we always ask, "What are your sales number of next week?" I don't know, Simon. What are your sales numbers of this week? I don't know, Simon. But it's it's not true that there are no numbers. Mm. the The habit of writing the numbers down and taking them seriously is lacking because they think that their numbers are too volatile. They are not reliable. Now, that's a catch-22 situation. The numbers are not reliable because you don't write them down every seven weeks, every seven days. Mm. And uh, so you don't have enough numbers on paper until they become reliable. For example, uh, freelancers can track the number of conversations they had during the week. If you start with this habit, okay, I had seven talks with interested people. I converted to or I converted zero, then you would have seven, two. Next week, you would write eight, one, eight, zero. If you do that for a couple of weeks, your numbers will become now more and more reliable. And if you do it for a couple of months, your numbers will be even predictable. The problem is just that um, most freelancers don't start writing them down. So they celebrate not having numbers. And, and this is something when we coach them, we, we, we help them write them down. Okay, write it, write it down nevertheless. And after a couple of weeks, they say, my God, that changed everything because I have now, I have data. Mm. That's, yeah, I mean, it's super interesting. Because like, hmm, I mean, I have some thoughts on this. Uh, so in, uh, when I was 18, 19, I actually did a couple of bodybuilding shows and you're very number centric there, right? You're counting protein, carbs, fats, and you're looking at your weight and your diet. I've never applied that same mentality to business. And maybe, maybe that's something I need to start doing. Um, I've always kind of not go with the flow, but I've always felt it out. And I think I, th I do, I agree with you. I think my business could actually perform a lot better with a better focus on, on the numbers, Um, but often in those early days, a lot of it is gut feel and stuff, but maybe, maybe even with Bento, Bento is, it's, it's a sizable business, um, but it's, it's still early ish in, in the life cycle of that company. And I can probably approach that business with a lot more, uh, diligence on the numbers, I think, um, than, than I currently have. I love it that that you also come with the, the sports metaphor because I learned this from my CrossFit coach. And nice. uh, we business coaches, we didn't have a numeric real-time dashboard at that time. But I was doing my first, you know, my first deadlifts and 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 uh, and weight exercises, the four basic weights. And it was absolutely clear that every day that I had a spreadsheet 
And I, I would write down today, 80 kilogram set of five to warm up and then going up to that number because my coach would ask me every, every 30 days, we would, we would measure the max, the one max repetition. And that was really important. And then there was a, a, a cycling periodized uh, way of training every day and once a month. And you have a, and you have a deload week and stuff. It's exactly. Uh, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And you know what happens then automatically you eat better, you sleep better, etc., because you are pushing the, the envelope uh, in terms of intensity. And so I was like, wait a moment. I want this every client to have such a dashboard <laughs> for yeah, marketing, sure. for operations, and for sales. This is how we created the Strategy Sprints method. Nice, nice. That's cool. I like I like that background. Yeah, and, and, and it is funny, right? Like even even with training and stuff, like I, I just did a eight week cycle, just uh, it was a powerlifting cycle, right? But I don't really apply that to work, do I? Like yeah. I, 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 you know, and there's progressive overload and there's there's proper uh, like optimizations in that eight week cycle. But it's just like in work, you just like log on in the morning, like, let's go. <laughs> and you just kind of go at it. And uh, yeah, re rarely do you kind of treat it like a training exercise. So um yeah, if anything, I'll take that away from the call and maybe on my walk, I can think about it. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm so curious who you nominate for the strategy award after one word from our... Hey, if you love what you are hearing, you will love our free masterclasses. Go grab them at strategiesprints.com. You can pick only one person. When everybody's zigging, this person is zagging. Who is this person? Yeah. Um... Huh, who would I pick? I can pick someone. I can pick someone in my community. I really like. Um, I got a, a friend called Amar who runs a SaaS business in uh, in the maid industry. Very bizarre. Um, I think he's doing a lot of really cool things, selling software to maids in the U.S., uh, especially during COVID times. Um, and he's a he's a like young bootstrapped guy. He's currently living in Bangkok at the moment. Super interesting. I've got I've got a lot of really interesting friends, man. Um, yeah, I don't know. Can I rattle off more or? Yeah, I'm intrigued. Do you want just one? How do you, how do you create your network? How, how do you stay in touch in these pandemic times? Yeah, I, I feel like I've got a really strong network. Um, a lot of them I, I treat as like friends. Uh, like even today, I was having I was having a hard day today, and so I um. I, I lent on a few friends for support and help. Um, you know, my friend Nate Ginsberg, who runs a company called uh, Seller Flows, he, he does, uh, he buys and sells a lot of businesses in e-com. Um, and I had questions about selling businesses. <laughs> so, um, you know, I can jump on a call with him and talk about that. I uh, had some questions about Bento and, and e-commerce and Bento and stuff. So I reached out to my friend, uh, Alan from Spy Guy. I've got, I just, yeah, a, a decent size network. A lot of that's from Twitter. Um, originally, it was from Twitter. And then there's a couple of um, uh, private communities I'm in. One of them's the, it's called the DC. There's a podcast called The Tropical MBA, and they got like a private community in there. Um, hang out there quite a lot. And I go to the conferences for that. And a lot of, I would say, very dear friends from that community and a lot of customers. Like, I reckon. 10, uh, maybe 10-ish customers pay for the agency and more than that pay for Bento. Um, and, I, I, and there's no selling that. It's just people, they come across my products and they're like, oh, this is cool. Like, oh, I need this for my business. And 
they use it and if they like it, they tell others. Yeah. So I've tried to curate like a pretty friendly neighborhood online. Um, kind of even going back to the bodybuilding stuff again. I used to be really active in uh, forums, the old school bodybuilding.com forums and stuff. And I feel like they were kind of the good old days because you'd hang out in forums and you'd, you'd throw up a post and things were pretty like free and almost anonymous, right? You know? Uh, and I've tried to take that similar attitude to like Twitter and, and a lot of the communities that I'm in, you know, just find like-minded people, contribute, help, uh, don't sell ever really. Um, and I, I found that the rewards of just being like a friendly person in a neighborhood tends to be, you know, you want to be the guy that like, if someone needs sugar, they come over and they ask you like, you know, cause when, when they actually need something for their business, then they come over and they ask you cause you're when they're comparing mentally, uh, all the different competitors, they're like, oh, well, Jesse was helpful that one time. I'm going to pay for Bento instead of MailChimp. Um, that's that tends to be how I win deals. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's yeah. trust, is knowing what you are good at. And uh, memory, being, being um, the one they associate with. Cool. Yeah. And be in front of mind, right? Because uh, I find with a lot of products, and I don't think a lot of entrepreneurs know this, like, well, think this, selling often, like when people are buying stuff, they generally have a job to be done. Uh, and in their head, they have preconceived notions of what tools going to help them get that job done. Already, like by the time they are then solving that job. And a lot of marketing, especially in the spaces that I'm in, is just being present. You just want to, always be that so that when it comes time for them to complete that job, I need to send an email broadcast to a large list. I need to work with an e-commerce client to send automated abandoned cart emails or whatever it is, right? Um, I plus Bento is front of mind and they just like us a little bit better. Branding, personality, support, uh, and that's how you win deals. It's just be present in people's minds regularly and just be a nice person. Don't aggressively sell. I see a lot of entrepreneurs do that. They like, they meet someone new in the network and they just kind of hammer it. And you're just like, it's super off-putting. And, and you don't build long relation, like long-term relationships. A lot of the deals that I've closed have taken two years, three years, four years. And I didn't even know those deals were going on, but they are. It's like in their heads, they're going, oh, I would lo- like, I like Jesse. Like he's been super helpful. I want to go buy his agency services or I want to use him for consulting or I want to buy his software. Um, yeah, that attitude has been good to me, at least. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Three cool. books that shaped you most. Um, I really like the book Happy by Darren Brown. Uh, general, like, it's, it's kind of a, a soft take on uh, stoicism a little bit, but it's like very, very soft and practical. I, I just liked it. I thought it was good. Uh, four hour work week, obviously I wouldn't be here in Japan if it wasn't for that book, uh, regardless of how it's re- regarded today. I just, I just think it's, it, it was a great book for the time I was in. Right. And it kind of, it, op- it opens up the doors with a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and then the third book, I would have to, I thought I, I remember this, the third book, I'm gonna have to think on that again. I had it had it before the call, and then and then it just slipped my mind. It'll come back. It'll come back. Where can people find out more about you and Bento and uh, share the journey? Yeah, sure. So uh, Twitter's good. Uh, so my Twitter is J E S S E T Hanley H A N L E Y. 
uh, or just follow at Bento, B-E-N-T-O. Uh, and then, yes, shoot me a message, schedule a call, whatever. Just talk shop if you've got questions. Uh, if there's any like freelancers or agencies that are struggling on that kind of precipice moment where you're trying to work out, hey, like, what do I do now? I'm stressed. I'm overwhelmed. I've got I've got cash flow going, but I don't know where to go from here. Feel free to like send me a DM and I'll help you hash it out. <laughs> um, that's that's always easy. Who should be my next guest? Get Amar on. He might be fun. He's he's a, he's a he's a high energy talker. I mentioned him before. Um, yeah, or go through um, the Tropical MBA. Uh, guest list. I'm sure you'll find a lot of really interesting kind of people that are running businesses there. I think I, I, I'm a big fan of people that are kind of running their own businesses, are bootstrapped and just figuring it out. Plus are also just doing crazy stuff, man, like raising, raising a family in, you know, parts of Africa whilst running a business selling to the US, right? Like that's cool. That's cool. I, I like those businesses. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm doing also crazy stuff like raising a family. I can see. I can see. I can see. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're building an audience in the US and whereabouts in Europe are you? Um, I'm in Vienna, Austria right now. And Amazing. our team cool. is everywhere in the world, but I'm in Vienna, Austria. Yeah. See, super. Like, that's a fun life, man. And uh, congrats on, on raising the family as well. Thanks. Thank you so much, Jesse, for being here, sharing your journey, your wisdom with our community. And please come back soon. Cool. Thanks, man. Peace. Avoid trying to do thousands of things that doesn't work. We have 274 templates for your business success. Reach your ambitious goals with one-on-one -on -one sprint coach. We double your revenue in 90 days.